As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Earth Keepers podcast. And friends, I'm so excited to say that spring has sprung here in Montana. The gray skies of winter have been a thing of the past these past few weeks and have been replaced by blue skies, sunshine, and big fluffy clouds. I'm back to my daily vitamin D sessions on the patio and it feels oh so good. Now, I've lived here long enough to know that it is highly unlikely that we've seen our last snow of the year. In fact, our average last frost date is somewhere between Mother's Day and Memorial Day. So I'm only just now starting seeds for my summer garden. But it feels good to emerge from the dark days of winter and have the sun hit my face again. Speaking of gardening, did you know this has become one of the hottest pandemic hobbies of the past year? And you know how much I like to be on trend. Just kidding. If you're new here, let me tell you that I am rarely on trend. Sometimes it's on purpose and sometimes it's an accident, but I'm just usually over here doing my own thing regardless of what everyone else is doing. In fact, I hope you'll all remember me when everyone is suddenly talking about their Bigfoot guide and having a portal in your backyard is oh so popular then I'll be happy to be in the Cool Kids Club. In the meanwhile, I am happy to be on the gardening bandwagon, where I've happily been hanging out for most of my life. I mean, I did grow up on a farm, and as an agriculture major in college, I was assigned a patch of land in a weedy field at the school farm that was mine to tend, starting with learning the double-dig method. Let's just say I'm glad those days are behind me. In my 20s, I had a tiny balcony on my second-story apartment that I lined with flower boxes full of plants, had a good-sized tree in a large pot that my cat loved to nap beneath, and even a water fountain that I could plug in to drown out the sounds of traffic speeding by. So in my early 30s, when the world of blogging started to be more of a thing, I started looking for people my age who were writing about gardening, and dang, they were hard to find back then. So Let me just say how excited I am that now, finally, people of all ages are feeling called to get their hands in the soil and grow some plants. Because even if they don't know yet that they can talk with their plants and work together with the spirits of the land to grow a beautiful garden, just wanting to garden at all is the first step to getting back in touch with this part of ourselves that's instinctively knows that being outside with our hands in the soil is good for our body and our soul. And honestly, I think it's kind of fascinating how this all played out over the past year. Because after the initial panic buying of toilet paper at the start of the quarantine, what went out of stock next? 
yeast for bread, vegetable seeds, and canning supplies. And I don't think that's random. There's a million hobbies we could have suddenly decided we needed to take up when we were all stuck at home. Why were these the ones we chose? Honestly, I think it's the deep ancestral knowledge still held in our cells and in our bones, and that when we're not sure what else to do, we find ways to nourish ourselves and our families. My hope, of course, is that even with all of our modern conveniences, we collectively realize through this time of sourdough baking and garden growing and food preserving that we didn't actually abandon these skills for something better, just for something easier. But that in abandoning them for faster, easier options, we unknowingly embraced a further separation from the land and all that goes with it. So I can't say that I wasn't just a little bit excited to see so many city dwellers and suburbanites learning these old skills over the past year and say, oh, hey, that wasn't so hard. And I really enjoyed doing it too. Anyhow, I could go on and on about this, but in the spirit of spring and new hobbies, I wanted to share some practical information with you today about gardening together with the spirits of the land where you live. Because there are literally thousands of spirits looking over your trees, your yard, your garden, and your house. And when you work consciously in partnership with them, you might be surprised to see that you're not the only one out there gardening. But before we dive into planting and gardening, let's first talk about the step before the first step in gardening, energetically connecting with the land where you live. But first, I want to add a note about ownership of a property. I try my best to stay away from that word when it comes to land and property, mainly because it's not a concept the spirits of the land understand. So many humans have come and gone in the memory of the land, and we're only caring for it for the tiniest sliver of time. I much prefer to say that we are stewards or caretakers of our land for this particular moment. The choices we make for it can significantly improve or degrade the land. So our presence is very important, but the land doesn't believe that we own it. I know lots of people try to avoid the word property as well, since the definition of the word means that it belongs to us, which of course it doesn't. But I haven't found a better alternative word outside of land, and Instead of repeating the same word over and over, I like to have two words to use in my writing and podcasting. So land and property it is. But if you have another good suggestion, let me know, because I do think our language is important. And honestly, we belong to the land far more than it belongs to us. But I digress. The other tricky part about your land is that the spirits have a hard time discerning where your property ends and the next person's begin. This happens to me all the time in property readings where a tree is calling out to me as the grandfather tree on the property, but I can tell that it's on the other side of the fence from the property I'm reading. The tree wants to be recognized and honored for the work it's doing, including caring for you and your home, regardless of where the fence line is. However, you may have a hard time explaining to a neighbor why you want to give an offering to a tree that's in their yard. That being said, 
it's helpful to give the spirits some guidelines as to where you are most able to easily work with them. You can do this by walking your property line and establishing it as the primary boundary of the land you're caring for. Using sound or music is a great way to do this. You can walk the property line while drumming, singing, or even clicking two rocks together. Take a few moments before you begin by closing your eyes, grounding your energy, and intending that you're setting an energetic boundary around your property. I also suggest, especially when you're new to the property, that you spend as much time as you can outside, sitting with the trees and the plants and asking what they'd like in this area. You'll have to use your intuition and imagination a bit here because plants usually talk in pictures or ideas, but go outside and ask if there's anything they need and then sit quietly for a few minutes. If you suddenly see a picture of something or get a sudden idea or just think of something specific, that's the spirits answering your question. So trust whatever you get and if possible, find a way to fulfill their request. Often they ask for things like more water or planting some seeds or pruning branches. Nothing too difficult for us humans to handle, but it's impossible for them to do it themselves. Once you've connected with the general energy of the place you live, you can then ask to meet the keeper of the land. To do that, you'll want to get into a meditative state, and you can be indoors for this if it's easier for you. And then ground and protect your energy and ask to meet the keeper of the land. Be patient and don't discount what shows itself to you. Rarely do I see them show up as humans, although sometimes they'll shapeshift from an animal to a human spirit. But It may not be a creature that's native to your climate, or it might be something you consider mythical, or even a cartoon character. Just go with it. Keepers of the land are typically overseeing a much larger area of land where you live, and they're not just specific to your property. When you meet them, you can ask if they have a message for you, or if there's anything you could do to be helpful. This is also the spirit that knows about any issues in the neighborhood. So if you're having any problems, you can ask them to show you where this issue is coming from or what exactly is causing it. Once the spirits of the land in your neighborhood know that you're aware of them and are eager to help, they will put you to work, but they'll also reward you for your efforts. Another way to energetically connect with the land where you live is to find a sit spot or anchor spot on your property where you can do just that. Sit, observe, and connect with nature. So often we move through nature rather than settle in somewhere to be a part of it. The rest of our surrounding environment will begin to respond to us differently when our energy is such that we are a part of the landscape instead of separate from it. And don't forget to give your thanks to these spirits for working with you. And remember to share offerings with them and with the land itself. Offerings can be anything you dream up. Your intention is far more important than the item, but it could be seeds or flowers or cornmeal or a song. The land appreciates it and will work together with you when it feels honored and appreciated. Treating the land as if it's equal to us humans will open up an entirely new world for us and for the spirits you share the property with. And 
you'll be surprised at how your surroundings will flourish, even without putting a single plant in the ground. However, it's spring, and I'll bet you're thinking about putting some new plants in the ground, or perhaps even an entirely new garden. And you might not be surprised to learn that the fairy realm loves to help you with your garden. A few years back, I asked a fairy that was helping to tend the garden at my rental house what suggestions she had about gardening with fairies, and she had some lovely ideas. First, she sent them a simple offering of a container of water charged by the full moon can be offered in thanks and prayer for the future gifts you'll receive from the garden. You can use it to water in your first little plants. Anytime you're out in the garden, she suggested that you sing songs or play music because the plants like it and so do the fairies. When it comes time to harvest fruits or veggies or cut branches or flowers, be sure to ask permission first. Whichever ones you're most attracted to pick or cut or harvest are the ones eager to come with you. The plants see it as an opportunity to serve yet another purpose. And the advice I received for all gardeners is that we should spend time in our gardens. Tend to the plants, just like the fairies and the plant spirits are. Everyone works together to do their part in creating a thriving garden. Be sure to tell the garden what your wishes are for it. Healthy fruits and vegetables, beautifully scented cut flowers, or a peaceful spot to rest in the shade. The fairies are the gatekeepers of our gardens and assure me that they keep an eye on everything when we're not around. So be sure to thank and acknowledge their help in creating your beautiful garden. Now, in moving from the energetic to the physical, let me share some specific methods that the spirits of the land really seem to like. It goes by all kinds of different names with a variety of different techniques, but the aim is similar to work with the land to create a vibrant, thriving ecosystem. Some of the terms you might hear on the interwebs include permaculture, the no-dig method, the Ruth Stout method, back to Eden, and I'm sure there's more. You can type any one of those methods into a YouTube search bar and be entertained and sometimes even amazed for hours. Personally, I was a casual student of permaculture for a number of years, reading books, and experimenting with some of the methods both in my backyard garden and on the farm that I grew up on. But back in 2015, when our house hunting search was coming up empty, and I was staring down a cold, dark winter, I decided to study for my permaculture design certificate online through Oregon State University. They also offer a free introduction course if you're even the tiniest bit interested. I'll link to both in the show notes. But let me tell you, this was far more in-depth than any online course I'd ever taken. And I seriously did not think through the fact that this was a design certification, and I had no idea how to draw, on paper or the computer. It was definitely a challenge, and I had to learn far more than I'd anticipated, but it completely changed how I looked at every property we considered buying from that point on. So. In short, permaculture stands for permanent agriculture. It focuses on observing and learning from our environment to create a sustainable landscape to meet our needs. Things like building soil, capturing water, 
and building interconnected guilds of complementary and often perennial plants and trees. No wonder the spirits of the land like it. So what do you need to know about implementing permaculture techniques into your garden? Well, the three main ethics in permaculture are number one, care of the earth, number two, care of the people, and number three, the return of any surplus. Or you could call this, take only what you need. I think the first two are pretty self-explanatory. In whatever it is you're doing, first consider how it contributes to caring for the earth and the people. But the third one can be really interesting the more you think about it. It could be as simple as sharing extra produce with your neighbor. But from a permaculture standpoint, you think about how to stack functions. So you plant a fruit tree with compost and mulch, which cares for the earth. But the tree also produces fruit, which helps care for the people. At the end of the season, all of the leaves drop to the ground. And instead of raking them up, you leave them in place to compost and further build the soil, which is both caring for the earth and returning surplus material to the ecosystem. That's just a really simple example, but it can be fun when you start to think of all the different ways you can stack functions together to create an incredibly complex and functional system. Anyhow, as we went back to our property search the next spring, we looked at so many places that weren't right for what we wanted to do. Too shady, too sloped, too remote. I was definitely feeling like Goldilocks. More than one real estate agent over our three-year search for just the right place didn't understand why we were so particular about the land and its location. So when we found this piece of property with flat southern exposure just far enough away from the highway for peace and quiet, but not too far to get to town easily, we knew it was the one for us. After we purchased the land and before the snow fell, I could see what was growing here already. A variety of native grasses along with a few invasives, including spotted knapweed and oxeye daisy. I knew the soil was a bit rocky and that building healthy soil would be one of my first tasks, but I didn't really know what I was about to get myself into. Fast forward to March when excavation began, and when I got my first look at the soil they were turning over, I was a tad bit concerned. It wasn't just rocky. It was all rock. I mean, the builder was thrilled. No extra truckloads of gravel. Yay! I mean, I suppose it did save us a few bucks, but I wasn't quite anticipating that much rock. We literally live on an ancient glacial riverbed. And it's impossible to put a shovel in the ground and dig a hole. We've had to get super creative every time we have to put a post in the ground. Let's just say we've become very familiar with creating structures and fences with concrete piers. Anyhow, in the first few months we lived here, one of our new neighbors stopped by one evening and we chatted about the soil. He said not to bother to bring in any topsoil because it'll just wash away through the rocky soil. He also told me that I'd better get after those weeds with some Roundup. I just bit my tongue since I didn't really know him except to say, oh, thanks but I think I'll find another method. And that method is one of the cornerstones of permaculture, sheet mulching. 
with sheet mulching, you're focusing on building your soil up rather than digging down into it, which means it works on top of gravel or even pavement if you have a sunny patio or balcony or driveway you'd like to put a garden on. Sheet mulching, sometimes called lasagna gardening or the back to Eden method, consists of layering organic matter on top of existing soil, grass, weeds, or yes, even pavement if you'd like. I'll link to some step-by-step instructions on how to create a garden bed this way in the show notes. But it starts by making the first layer of your garden a thick material of cardboard or burlap in order to smother whatever organic material is there that you don't want, like weeds or grass. While giving the soil and plants a chance to develop as all the microorganisms, earthworms, and insects in the soil work their way up through the layers, creating even better soil. In my case, that first layer of cardboard will hopefully keep the rain from washing my soil away until it's stabilized and functioning more like the healthy soil on the forest floor rather than a bed of rocks. On top of the cardboard, you add three to four inches of compost and then top the compost with five to six inches of some kind of mulch. Pine needles, wood chips, something like that. And honestly, you don't have to be too perfect here. The cardboard keeps the weeds from coming up and competing with your plants, and the mulch keeps weed seeds from dropping in and germinating, and also helps to retain moisture and cool the soil. You can plant your plants directly into the compost. Just push the mulch aside, Put your plant in and then pull the mulch back up around your plant. Easy peasy. And this works for any kind of bed you want to get started. I've done raised veggie beds like this, flower beds around the house, even areas where you want to plant trees or a small orchard. So think about a spot you can try sheet mulching this spring and see how you, the plants, and the spirits of the land like it. It's how I'll be building my raised beds for my vegetable garden in the next month or so. And of course, no matter how challenging your soil might be, you can always work with the spirits of the land to learn more about how you can improve the conditions where you live. When I realized just exactly how challenging it was going to be to garden at our new place, I journeyed to ask the spirit what they had to say about it. I mean, after all that searching for the perfect place, what was it about this place? Why was I needed here exactly? A little rabbit came by to answer my questions and said that it was important to build an oasis in this area where people, like that neighbor of mine, think it can't be done. He said, what I can build will lift the energy of the area and inspire others. I hope I'm going to inspire them not to use Roundup for starters. Although after my third discussion with the HOA last week about finding an alternative for spraying the roadside weeds in the neighborhood, I'm not going to hold my breath. That being said, for many people, seeing is believing. So I'll just keep plugging away here on my little oasis until it just can't be ignored. Anyhow, the little rabbit in my journey also encouraged me to sheet mulch on the rocky land. And when I said, but how will I handle covering such a large area? He said, just like you would eat an elephant, one bite at a time. Funny guy, that rabbit. So I guess the point is that I cannot be too ambitious. This is going to take me a while. 
But building the soil through sheet mulching will also help it to retain more water, which is important in hot, dry summers here in the arid Rocky Mountain West. Also, all that exposed rock that we have at the moment is holding heat. So building soil will help to cool the area as well. Ultimately, the little rabbit said that people want to learn about this, which is why I'm sharing it with you here today, and that the trees here will watch over and support our work. So I had my marching orders, and going on our fourth summer here this year, I can promise you that this project is definitely slow going, but it is going, and I'm excited to finally have a full vegetable garden planted this year. Oh, and one little side note. Last year, we built the deer fence for our garden and decided to try straw bale gardening for the first time ever. It seemed easy enough and a good option until we could put the raised beds in this year. I followed directions to prepare the bales to a tee and then planted my veggies and herbs. And it was a complete disaster. The plants struggled to grow or just completely died. In all my years of gardening, I've never had such an abject failure of a season. And I thought maybe it was related to the amount of rain we got early in the season and a few random irrigation problems we had. But then a few months ago, when researching what I could do with the bales, I stumbled first across a blog post about how straw could potentially destroy your garden if it was sprayed with a particular pesticide. Then, completely coincidentally, on the same day, but of course nothing is a coincidence, I saw a YouTube video talking about the exact same thing. The descriptions and images of plants that were either planted in straw bales or straw mulch looked a whole lot like my garden did last year. In all my research before using this method, I didn't come across this information anywhere. So if you're planning to use straw this year for anything in your garden, be sure to buy direct from a farmer who can ensure they didn't spray herbicide on their fields because it lingers on the straw for two to three years after it's cut. I'll add a link in the show notes to the information I found if you'd like to research it further. Okay, that about wraps up this week's episode. But before you go, just a reminder about the Earth Tenders Academy. If you're feeling called to connect even more deeply with the energy of the land where you live, work with the spirits of the land there, and learn how to do healing work in partnership with the spirits there, I would absolutely love to have you join us. The Earth Tenders Academy is an online course with nine modules chock full of video lessons from me, along with guided meditations to experience each subject for yourself. We meet together live twice a month to practice our skills and have a supportive Facebook community. There's a link in the show notes where you can learn more and join us. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and I'll see you back here next Tuesday. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earth Keepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.